Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the Minister of Children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining starting us. starting a new series, as you see on the screen, called CORE. And we're going to be talking over the next four weeks about the values that shape our church. Now, when you think about a value, we all have values. A value is essentially a belief that you have that determines an attitude or action in your life. Okay, so that's a, that's a value. A value is a belief you hold that determines an attitude or action in your life, all right? So just quick show of hands, audience participation, how many of you ate breakfast this morning before you came? All right, are you ate in your life group? Great, all right. You valued food, all right? That was your value. You said, hey, you know what? Food, before I show up to church, I don't wanna be hangry and cranky and all that, so I need to eat, all right? So I, I ate because I value food, all right? So when you believed you needed food, you ate food. How many of you showed up to church dressed this morning? Okay, good. Some of you didn't raise your hand, but that's okay. Like you, you have clothes on, all right? Even if you didn't raise your hand, you have clothes on. Thank you for valuing clothes, all right? You believed it was important to show up to a public place well-dressed or dressed, right? Thank you from the bottom of my heart for holding that value, all right? You value a home, like you have a townhouse, an apartment, uh, you know, you, you, you live in a house, right? You think, man, it's important to have a roof over my head at night, so I'm going to work in order to pay for my home. And you, you say, you know what, I value friendships. I don't want to be alone. I value relationships. So you're married. You have friends. Values are something that you believe are important that determine an attitude or action in life. So as a church, we have values, all right? There's things we believe that are important in the Christian life. And so over the next four weeks, we're expressing our four values. And so we're gonna next, we talk about serving, the value of serving in our community. Uh, if you're new with us, we say here at Heights that we believe that we exist for our community. Our community does not exist for our church, all right? So God did not put all the people around Heights Baptist Church to make it bigger, we are here to help our community be better, right? So we serve in our community. We serve each other. We'll talk about the value of sharing, that we're to be people that just don't know good news of Jesus, but we talk about it with people. We share that. We'll talk about the value of connecting, all right? Just as Carrie said, you know, in those life groups where we can get together with one another and encourage each other. This morning, we're going to talk about the value of engaging, all right? And here's what the value of engaging means. And this is what we're going to uh, say engaging looks like. We'll put it up on the screen for you. We want to encourage you to engage in growing your faith so that you can help someone else grow in their faith. All right, so when we talk about the value of engaging, we wanna encourage you to engage in growing your faith so you help someone else grow in their faith. All right, so that's, that's what we believe the Bible says, that's what's called making a disciple, that Jesus tells us that, that we're to make disciples. All right, so to make disciples and to help more people follow Christ, I've gotta be growing in my faith in order to help them grow in their faith, right? You've got to grow in your faith to help someone else grow in their faith, all right? So what does engaging look like? What does it look like to engage in your faith and to grow? Well, let me show you out of Colossians chapter one. We're going to pick up in verse 28. And the first thing I need you to know about engaging in your faith is essentially this. You have to believe in Jesus, all right? You have to believe in Jesus. Notice verse 28, Paul says, him we proclaim 
warning every man and teaching every man or everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right? So this morning, if you say, hey, you know what? I want to engage in my faith in order to grow someone else's faith. First, I know this sounds pretty basic and elementary, but it's very, very important. You have to have faith in the right person. And you have to have faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Paul is writing this letter to the church of Colossae, and at the time he's combating some false teaching that's called Gnosticism. And essentially a Gnostic, what a Gnostic believed was this, that, that the body was evil and the spirit was good. Right? So Gnostics would not have celebrated Easter like we did last week and the resurrection of Jesus because they're thinking, why in the world would you want your spirit to come back in a, in a bad body? Right? Bodies are evil, spirits are good. But Gnostics also said in order to have your sin forgiven, you've got to keep certain rules, you've got to keep certain traditions, you've got to know this kind of secret knowledge that is out there, this higher knowledge that you have to discover. And so Paul's writing this letter to the church of Colossae, and he's saying, no, 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 it's not that. You have to have faith in the right person. And so what he does in chapter 1, in verse 15, he says this. He says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, if you've got your Bible open, look in verse 17 of Colossians 1. I love this. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If there is a memory verse that you need for 2022, it's that. <laughs> Colossians 1.17 is the song we used to sing as kids for many of us. He's got the whole world in what? In his hands, right? That's Colossians 1.17. He is literally holding all things together. He's holding you together today. Verse 18, Christ is the head of the body, the church, He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or throne or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? So in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian, you've got to believe in the biblical Jesus, just as Paul outlined him in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. That faith has to be in Christ. Because in chapter 2, he's going to kind of go against the Gnostics, and he's going to say, no, no, it's not about these traditions. It's not about this secret higher knowledge. It's not about keeping all the festivals. Ver chapters 3 and 4, he's going to show you how to live the Christian life. So in order to engage in your faith, Right, so as a believer, you should say, hey, I want to grow in my faith. I want, to, I want to know God more so that I can help someone else know God. First, you have to have faith in Christ. But secondly, I want you to see this. In order to engage in your faith, that you need to share Christ. Right? So if I'm going to engage in my faith by growing my faith in order to help someone else grow, I've got to believe in Christ. I have to share him. I have to share Jesus. Verse 28, it says, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Right, so it's Christ we believe in, Christ we proclaim. Notice warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That, that word warning in the Greek, it means to admonish, and it's a really strong Greek word. All right, so if I'm going to admonish someone, 
I'm going to warn them. I'm warning them in order to change an attitude or action. All right, so think about it this way. The Bible is your way to find God. It's your way to know God. It's a way to be saved. The Bible's going to say, here's how you can know God, be saved by God, and live for God. The Bible's also going to say, you're going down a path you don't need to go down, right? And so the Bible's corrective, the Bible's instructive, the Bible's encouraging, the Bible at times lifts us up, and the Bible at times says, no, 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 don't do that. It admonishes us. I like to think of it this way. Uh, when our, our first uh, son, David, was about to be born, we lived out in the country. I was pastoring a church while I was in seminary there, and the church we were pastoring, I mean, it was, it was in the sticks, sticks, right? We had a caution light, not a stoplight, mind you, a caution light. We had a gas station. If you wanted to go out to eat, you had two choices. You go eat at the gas station that has the little grill that serves fried chicken, or you drive 35 minutes to McDonald's. Who wants to drive 35 minutes to McDonald's? All right, I mean, like, but I mean, we are just, we're out there, right? So the hospital we've got to go to is a good 45 minutes away. I mean, it's just a little two-lane highway where we were. So Sandra starts having contractions with David uh, uh, on a Monday night. It's a Monday night football game. The New York Jets were playing the Atlanta Falcons. Why I remember that detail of the story, I don't know, but I just do, all right? Sports are always on in our house because my wife loves sports just as much as I do. So Monday night football is on just naturally. So she starts having contractions, you know, we're watching the game, and finally about 2 to 3 a.m., you know, everything's timing out, it's time to go to the hospital. Now, we were just in that town on Sunday picking up stuff from Walmart, which Walmart was about 40 minutes away. So we're driving about 2, 3 a.m. down this two-lane highway, and mind you, we've just been in the town the, the day before, and we come up to this sign that's now blocking both lanes. Road closed bridge out ahead. Now there's a sign beside the road close sign, detour. So I pull up and I stop the car and I look at my wife. I'm like, this is weird. We were just here yesterday. It had rain, no big like major storms, flash floods, any of that stuff. I was like, that's weird. The bridge is out. She's like, yeah, that's weird. The bridge is out. I don't think it's out. It's like, I don't think it's out either. And I said this, and this, men, if, if your wives have not had children yet, let me just like men tell you what happens in those moments. You do whatever she says to do, okay? I tell new dads this all the time because they always want like some advice from me. Like when my wife goes to deliver, what do I do? Whatever she says. If she says, stand in the corner and on one leg the whole time, you do that. Because she's pushing a human being out of her body today. You're doing nothing, right? You don't have a role. She's pushing the baby out. So I, I naturally know what to do. Hey, babe, what do you want to do? She's like, drive around. I don't think the bridge is out. All right, no problem. Drive around the road, close sign. We travel about another 10, 15 minutes down the road. And wouldn't you know, most shocking thing ever happened. The bridge is out. And I'm now the worst husband in the world because my wife who is in labor, I have now driven around a road closed sign. That was very clear. You could not miss this because it's blocking both lanes. 
10 minutes down this way. Now I go 10 minutes back this way and then take the detour. That's admonishment where God goes, hey, you're on a road right now that leads to destruction, but I got a better road for you that leads to life. Take that. So that's part of our role as believers in Christ. We engage in sharing our faith in order to grow someone else's faith, help them get on the right road of life. But I want you to notice how Paul says we need to do that. Look in verse 28 again. As Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all, and I, I mean, if you circle in your Bible or underline, man, I would underline this, with all wisdom, right? With all wisdom, you know? Wisdom he's talking about there is essentially wisdom you have that you're gonna pass down to somebody else, right? The wisdom you know of scripture that you're now gonna share with someone else, all right? And that's why it's key to grow in your faith so you share your faith and you're passing down that wisdom to someone else. And you know, I, I think right now, quite honestly, in the culture we're in, we need a lot of wisdom on how to interact with people that are not believers in Jesus Christ. I mean, we are, we are dealing with things right now as a culture that some of you probably never thought we'd have to deal with, right? I mean, and if you stop and think about what's happened, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. So for, for many, many years in our, in our culture, you had, and think about it as two train tracks, if you will, because this kind of helps me visually. You had the train track of culture running pretty parallel to the train track of church, right? So you had the train track of culture pretty much with same foundational beliefs as the church. You had it for decades and decades within our country. I mean, because some of you would say, hey, we were founded on Christian principles, and, and in many ways we were. And so you had that running parallel all the time. You know, church and, and culture, it wasn't a whole lot different. Culture had a pretty fundamental belief in God and understanding of God and of the Bible, and they ran pretty parallel. Think about it this way, and I told first service this. Some of you are going to get this. Some of you are too young for this, but you'll, you'll probably be like, wow, that's totally weird in 2022. One of the most controversial things that happened in television history was this. Anybody, I love Lucy fans? Okay? You know one of the most controversial moments in television history was? Lucy got pregnant in real life. Now, again, young people in the room are like, what? <laughs> Up to that point, guys, that know these shows, how are the marriage beds portrayed on these shows, even among married couple? Separate. So the producers of the show now have a big problem on their hands. Lucy's who's pregnant in real life mind you, to her real-life husband who plays Ricky on the show, now they have to explain how Lucy's pregnant when the beds are separate. First time in television history that the beds were brought together. Super controversial, right? And so you had a culture that was very conservative in a lot of ways that just ran these parallel train tracks with the church. And then this decade called the 70s happened. Starts turning. And then the 80s. <laughs> and then the 90s. And God help us in the 2000s. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, shoo. And it's, it's for a lot of you as Christians, it's rocking your world right now. Because all you've ever known is this culture 
that's running parallel to the church. But what's happened is the culture now is just, shoo, they're off on a different track, going a way different way. So you and I need a lot of wisdom in trying to now reach people for Christ and conversing with a culture that's just, shoo, they're, they're way off in a different direction. So for instance, and we were not dealing with this issue 10 years ago the way we're dealing with it now. And it's fascinating to me how the culture even doesn't know what to do with it. So take, for instance, 10 years ago this was happening a little bit, but not to the rate it's happening now. You now have men who have transitioned to women who are now complete, competing in Olympic sports and college athletics as a woman. And they're now, who were born biologically men, transition to a woman who are now competing with women in college athletics and Olympic sports. And you have our culture going, we don't even know what to do with this right now. Right? And so this is the world we're trying to engage people in with the gospel. Man, we need wisdom in that. So how do we do that? Let me give you four kind of options you have in engaging people uh, with the gospel and the culture. Uh, so if you want to write these down, I'm just going to go through them really quickly. There's four kind of ways you can kind of engage right now. Uh, first, you can blend in. So essentially this, as a Christian, you just blend in with culture. You throw your biblical values out the window and you just say, I'm just going to be a part of the culture. I'm just going to blend in. There's no kind of clear lines on what you believe and they believe you. You just blend in. This is probably the most popular one, I think, among Christians right now. It's the second one. It's just sit back and wait and hope it gets better. Okay? I call this one the ostrich method. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist. And I'm just going to hope it's going to course correct itself and things are going to get better. Right? I'm just going to not do anything. I'm not going to blend in. I'm not, I'm not going to engage. I'm just going to just pretend like it's not there. And I'm not going to think about it. And I'm not going to converse with anybody about it. I'm just going to hope it gets better. All right? See, a lot of Christians taking uh, point number two. Third one is this, to be a cultural warrior. All right, a cultural warrior is this. I'm going to fight everything. I'm going to fight everybody. That person who's not a believer is my enemy, right? And I'm just going to stand up and they're my enemy and I'm going to attack them. Now, hear me on this one. There are times we need to just draw clear biblical lines and I'm not afraid to do that at all. If you, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty upfront, pretty blunt, but I'll, I'll draw clear lines all day long biblically. But here's the problem with the cultural warrior. If everybody's your enemy, Usually you're not out to win an enemy by love. You're out to defeat an enemy. We're not here to defeat people. We're here to say, here's how you're saved by Christ. So if everybody's my enemy, and I'm against everybody, and I hate everybody, and I'm mad at everybody for what they're doing, well then how are you as a Christian loving your neighbor as yourself? How are you praying for your, that person that doesn't believe what you do? How are you caring for them, right? Because that person who's lost, who may be taking a different path than what the Bible says, they're not your true enemy. They're deceived by our enemy, which is Satan. And so they have a soul that we care for. So I, I think option four is really the best option, and it's this, is to be a cultural missionary, right? So to be a cultural missionary. A cultural missionary is this, Everywhere I go, I'm going to think through the lens of how I can help that person come to know Christ, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. How many of you, though, would say, I'm really tired of the language I hear at my workplace, right? 
How many of you go, man, I am tired of that coworker. He keeps cussing and all the people in my office and just their awful mouths, right? Some of you are nodding. You're like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. When's the last time you stopped and prayed for that heart to change? It's the last time you stopped and just, Lord, I'm going to get on my knees for Jim, and I'm just going to keep praying for Jim that he would come to know Christ. His life would change. His language would change. His mind would change. When was the last time you had talked to Jim and say, hey, Jim, man, can I talk to you about something? Like, I, I, I just want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and converse with you. So to think as a cultural missionary, right? So where I work, where I play, you know, when, when I'm on the ball field, when I'm at the chorus concert, when I'm at the swim meet, when I'm at the drama club, where I go to school, right, where you live, all those areas. What if you and I just started claiming all those areas for Jesus? All right, here's where I'm going to be this week, and I'm just going to start claiming that for Christ, and I'm going to start thinking through the lens of how I can help that person grow in their faith. So to engage in your faith means to grow your faith, and it will help someone else's faith grow. So we do that by believing in Christ, sharing in Christ with all wisdom. But let me give you the third thing that Paul shows us. It's our end goal. To know the end goal of engaging your faith is maturity in Christ. All right, so look in verse 28 again. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. All right, so here's the end goal of why you engage in growing in your faith so that they can grow in their faith. You're helping them because you want them to be mature in Christ. Notice Paul says in there three times the word everyone. In verse 28, we warn everyone, teach everyone, present everyone mature in Christ. Your translation may say complete, all right? So we want people to be complete, perfect in Christ. So that means I've got to engage in my faith in order to help someone else grow in their faith because they are going to stand before God one day and I want to help them get ready for that meeting. That's the end goal. All right, so as a church, if you're new with us, that's our end goal. Our end goal is not just to get more people in a room. Our end goal is not just to run more programs. My heart as your pastor is to say, you all are going to be before the Lord one day, and I want you mature in Christ. I want you ready for that meeting. But what does maturity look like? What does maturity look like in the Christian life? Well, if you got a, a pin out, just write down Galatians 5, 22 through 23. We're not going to turn there, but you can read it on your own. Galatians 5, 22 through 23 is going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And so you can think, all right, maturity as a believer in Jesus, I should be seeing some of those things coming out of me constantly. Kindness, patience, joy, peace, those fruits. But drop down to verse 2 of chapter 2. And here's what Paul, I'm going to show you two ways to say, all right, as a mature Christian, this is what it looks like. Chapter 2 and verse 2, he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. All right, so, so think about Galatians 5, that's fruit of the Spirit, that would be maturity. But notice what Paul says here, first sign of being a mature Christian is being an encourager. All right? So we want to have them knit together in love. I want to encourage people. All right, so as a Christian, your job is not to tear people down but to build people up, right? That, that's what you ought to be about, to be an encourager, to build someone up. Now, you may go, that doesn't come naturally to me. Well, you know what? It, some people, it doesn't. It takes work. It takes practice. 
So practice being an encourager. You may, and when you're talking to somebody that you don't like, the best you can come up with is, at least you're vertical today, right? At least you're alive. Good job. You got a little encouragement in that conversation, okay? So pray about that. Say, all right, I want to be an encourager because that's a mature Christian. That's what it looks like to encourage people, to build them up, not tear them down. But notice what else Paul says. A mature Christian, someone that's mature, is a peacemaker, right? He says in verse 2 that we want to be knit together in love. We want to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, Right? So in a church, we be peacemakers, not troublemakers. In a church, we want to be uniters, not dividers. Right? I ask you to write down this date earlier, and it's May 15th. Remember on May 15th, it's a big Sunday for us. We're now merging those two services and coming back to one service. Right? That means this. On May 15th, a lot of you are going to meet some people you've not met in two years. So we've had a lot of new people come in at first service. I told first service this, there's a lot of you that are new in second service. So on May 15th, the two services are going to meet. And you're going to meet some people that are, you think are just brand new, but they've been here for two years really, really faithfully. And first service is going to do the same thing. I've had this question come up. What about my seat? <laughs> What's going to happen to my seat? So I told first service this. Here's my one-time offer to that. Because if you're new with us, we do not own our seats at Heights Baptist Church. No one personally owns their own seat unless you take me up on this offer. One Sunday only, okay? So one Sunday offer here. If you today write a check for $50,000 to the air conditioning fund, you can own your own seat. So one-time, one-Sunday offer, all right? $50,000 to the air conditioning fund. This Sunday only, you can own your own seat. Here's what we'll do with your own seat. We'll put your name on that seat. We'll attach cup holders to that seat. We will make sure that seat reclines. We'll make sure that, that seat massages you, okay? All right, 50 grand today to the air conditioning fund. You got your own seat, all right? Limited, limited, limited offer. That's about to expire in about 20 minutes, all right? If you can't do that, then guess what? It's not your seat. So here's what you do not do on May 15th or any Sunday that you walk in and you see someone sitting where you normally sit. Here's what you do not do. You do not under any circumstance ask them to move. You know why? Because that's just flat rude. Right? It's just rude. You don't do it. You do not do that. Here's what you do as an encourager as one that wants to say, I want to build someone up, and I want to celebrate people, and I want to unite people, I want to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker in my church. If you walk in and you see someone sitting where you normally sit, you celebrate. You know why you celebrate? Because, man, that person came to worship God today. And you're like, God, thank you, they came to worship you. You celebrate because that person may get saved. You celebrate because that person may get baptized one day. You celebrate because you've been praying for guests as a church. You've been praying for new people. And you're seeing God answer your prayer because God puts someone in your seat. And you celebrate and you go, God, you know what? I've worshiped you in this seat. I've prayed to you in this seat. And now you've brought someone else in my seat to grow their faith today. Amen, God, for working in that person's heart. Isn't that a great response, church? Amen? All right, so remember that. 
unless you write that check, okay? (laughs) But here's the thing, is growing in your faith is hard. I mean, it's just hard. This isn't easy. Growing in your faith in order to grow someone else's faith, it's tough work. I mean, it's not easy. And that's why I want to end on verse 29. If you this morning say, man, I want to engage in my faith. I want to see my faith grow. I'm just going to let you know it's hard. Because look at what he says in verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. That word toil, struggle, uh, we get our English word agony from. So Paul's saying, I agonize over you. I I toil. It's it's given us, I'm working to the point of exhaustion to present you mature in Christ to see your faith grow. It's not easy work. Yeah, when I read that verse, I was reminded of a story I heard uh, years ago about a a farmer. He had his eight-year-old son, and they're out in the field, and they're getting the field ready to to plow and to plant. And and the farmer comes up to the son. There's this big rock kind of right in the way, and Farmer tells the eight-year-old boy, hey, I need you to move the rock. You know, the eight-year-old gets down, and he's trying to pick it up, or he's trying to pick it up, and he's struggling, he's struggling, he just can't budget. And he finally looks at his dad, he's like, look, I, I can't move this rock. Right, I, I've tried everything I could do to, use the, to move the rock. I've used all my strength, I've used all my power, I can't move it. Dad looks at me and says, no, you haven't used all your power, because you haven't asked me to move the rock. See, in your Christian life, In my Christian life, there's times, there's things that are hard. There's times where we're like, God, I'm struggling with this. And Lord, I can't go talk to somebody about Christ. I'm not smart enough or or I'm too weak to do this or do this. And notice what he says. For this, I toil struggling with all of, not your energy, but his energy that he powerfully works within me. So God's coming up beside you today and he's saying, look, you can engage in growing in your faith. You can help someone else grow in their faith because it's me, the Holy Spirit, that works in you and through you. I'm gonna be the strength when you're weak. I'm gonna help you where you need help. I'm gonna be there right with you as you engage and grow in your faith so you help someone else grow in theirs. I'll just do this if you don't mind. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and I just want to end our service this way. If you, don't, if you don't mind doing this exercise with me, just close your eyes where you are. And, and, and with your head bowed and your eyes closed, or you're at home or you're here in the room, I, I want you to think of someone that you really love, all right, that you, you really care for. All right, get, get that person's uh, picture in your, in your mind. Let them see their face. All right, it could be a parent be a spouse, a a kid, a neighbor, a friend, just just someone you really care for, okay? You got them in your head. You got them in your mind. All right, I I want you to know some truths about that person. That person you love, you care for, you're picturing right now, I want you to know today God made them. God made them special. He made them in his own image. I want you to know today that person sinned against God because he sinned against God. There's There's a separation of God now and for all of eternity because of their sin. But God loved that person that you love, that you're picturing in your mind right now so much that he sent his only begotten son in this world to die on a cross for their sin, to be able to give that person you love, you're picturing eternal life, to give them life with God now and life with all of eternity with God. I want you to know today, that person you love, God's offering them life through Jesus. 
that person you're picturing that you love in your mind today, they're listening to someone. They're either listening to the truth of Jesus or they're listening to the false lies of Satan. And here's what you need to know about that person you love that you're thinking about right now. One day they're going to die. And one day they're going to appear before Christ in judgment. And for all of eternity, they're either going to be in heaven or hell. And so here's what I want you to do today. Would you just right now, with that picture of them in your mind, would you as a believer in Jesus Christ just say to yourself and right before God, God, I want to grow my faith because I want to see their faith grow. Would you just make that a commitment before the Lord? Lord, I'm going to engage in growing my faith so this person I love, their faith in you is going to grow. Father, I thank you for every man, woman, child that's on this campus today, that's been watching on the live stream. I thank you for the way you love them. I thank you, Lord, that even when we sin against you, you have made a way for us to be forgiven and find our way back to you. Lord, we thank you for those detour signs on the road of life. When we're going the wrong direction, you tell us where to go. And Father, I pray today, that we be people who engage in our faith so that we may see others grow in their faith as well. We pray in Christ's name, amen.